I'm Alex Marlowe, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Happy Easter, and we begin today with me sharing some war stories from my Easter Sunday with three small children. Before I segue into a discussion of the Pope's schizophrenic Holy Week messaging, yes, he believes you are racist, and he felt like Good Friday was the day to convey that to you. Then, while you were enjoying your family, Joe Biden was taking more strides to dismantle our country by ramping up night flights of illegal aliens into your communities. No wonder his polling is at a historic low and he's getting crushed with Hispanics. Donald Trump endorsed J.D. Vance. Vladimir Zelensky is trying a new approach to talk the U.S. into war on his behalf. Mayor Eric Adams blames everyone but himself on New York City's shocking crime wave and much more in the opening of the broadcast. Then Breitbart News Politics Editor Emma Jo Morris joins me to talk about the fascinating Pennsylvania Senate race. And she also discusses her column on a growing rift between the LG and the TQ plus communities and whether or not the big guy is hiding some dirty hunter money from the IRS. Spoiler alert, I think he is. But first, a word from our sponsors. season now do any of you feel any lighter i feel a little bit lighter you're supposed to you're supposed to feel good celebratory time it's not just one day it's a whole uh we're supposed to feel the the weight lifted knowing that uh, we have been uh forgiven and i think that that is something that is at least for us christians is passover season for um uh the jews right now which is actually kind of the heaviest season is that correct I think that's right. So anyway, but uh, for me, I feel a little bit lighter. Um, I will share that yesterday was, it was a happy Easter, but it was a funny one with all the children running around. We were all up early and ready to head out the door to church. We're going to catch the 8 a.m. mass, which is someone you have three children under four years old is a tall order, but we had everyone up. Everyone was dressed and looking really great. Uh, Master Marlowe, Master Marlowe Jr., typically when Mrs. Dr. Marlowe dresses them, she does do the thing where they wear the same clothes, and uh, it's adorable. It really is. I know some families do that, and it's kind of, you roll your eyes at it, but uh, we are one of those families, at least with the two boys, and uh, it looks great. It really does, and they are looking amazing, and I, uh, everyone's ready to go, and I was just loading the first child into the car, Master Marlowe Jr., I clip in his seatbelt in his car seat, and he immediately barfs all over his car seat. And if you guys know what uh, that means, some of you parents I know have been through this process. The barfing all over the floor, if it's like a like a smooth floor, that's a, a two-minute cleanup, and then you move on with your day. Uh, the barfing in the car seat is like at least an hour. And it's not an hour consecutively. It's an hour spread out over a four or five hour window because you have to remove the car seat, kind of hose it down, and you got to clean the cloth parts of the car seat. Hopefully you can get it off and then get that into the into the washing machine. And then you got to reattach it, which, you know, you need a, some sort of a PhD in physics in order to figure out how to do that. So uh, that, that that was a good start to the day. Then we had an egg hunt. And we live about a block and a half from a, a charming little park in our neighborhood. And so I went over and scouted out the park, took the eggs with me. The eggs were filled. And by the Easter Bunny, of course. And for any kids listening, Easter Bunny filled the eggs. And the, we, we, we work in, in tandem, me and the bunny. And um, she's huge, by the way. She's like six feet tall, hopping all over the place. 
Um, but so I, I went down there and took uh, baby Marlo, Duchess, and we were down there and we were scattering the eggs around and getting the the hunt ready. There was one corner of the park where there was a party that looks like it was about to finish, and the other than that, the park was empty. And uh, lay out the eggs, call on Master Marlo, Master Marlo Jr. to come down. Is right there as they're walking in the door. The children at the party got wind of what I was doing and sprinted over and started gathering up all the eggs I had meticulously uh, laid out for my children. And what are you supposed to do? You can't say anything. You can't just like say, hey, those eggs aren't for you kids. Those are for my kids, not for you guys. You guys can take a hike. You can't do that. So I just kind of watched them uh, gobble up all the eggs. Aside from by some Easter miracle, Master Marlowe got in there at the last minute and somehow got more eggs than any of the other kids. I have no idea how that happened. Um, and Master Marlowe Jr. got one egg and then immediately started playing with it. He just sat there on, I think it was some sort of a play structure. And he was fumbling with the egg and taking the, the candy out, which is already melting. And uh, it was so fun. It was really fun. Master Marlowe Jr. had a great attitude and everyone looked good. And of course, the day always ends in tears somehow because everyone gets overtired because it's too much fun. That's almost too much fun. If you've got three kids that age and it's just, you know, candy and toys all day. Um, not healthy, though. A lot of teeth brushing that went on afterwards. So that's it. I thought I thought you all should know uh, that that was how my Easter went, which was fun. It was a joyous occasion. The Easter in the news was a little different because the Pope was weird as he so often is, I highly recommend people check out Friday's podcast or On Demand Show if you use the SXM app uh, for my interview with Dr. Tom Williams, which he was, he's so, such a deep thinker. And he's not just our newsman in Rome. He's also a theologian. That's where his PhD's in. So he just he has really deep uh, ideas on faith. And he's also pretty uh, with us politically, uh, so to speak. And uh, the Pope was weird. So on Friday, he put out a statement talking about refugees, about how uh, refugees are subdivided, and there's first class, second class, skin color, whether they come from a developed country or whether they're not development, uh, whether they're not developed. And he says, "We are racist. We are racist, and this is bad." So that's what he was up to on on Good Friday, talking about how we're all racist, and so thus. After he shames us, we should take more refugees, I guess. And you know what the real reason is that we don't want uh, a billion refugees? It's not because we can't afford them or we're trying to have a sane society where we ha- it means something to be an American. Citizenship means something safer. Safety is not an issue. It's not what we can afford when we're already running insane levels of uh, deficit and debt is that we're all racist. That's why. Uh, Here's the question that no one asks, because you know he's lecturing Europe to some degree because Europe is going to get an influx um, from uh, from the east, and they're always getting some from Africa, as well as the United States, who's constantly getting it from south of the border. Uh, You know he's talking about those two groups, so he's he's lecturing uh, the countries that have a lot of white people in them. I'm, I'm just telling you, if he asked, if he came on the show, and I wish he would, even though I don't know how his English is in terms of interviews, um, but I, I would ask, I would explain to him that the people in my audience, they wouldn't want a bazillion refugees if they all looked exactly like they did, whatever that is. We, it has nothing to do with race. It has purely to do with what a sane society wants to take on. And it's not zero. The number is typically not zero refugees. The number is just 
You can't have everyone who claims they're a refugee being a refugee, which is the way the globalists run their their planet. So um, uh, this is, and, and he invokes Jesus, of course. He's the Pope who gets to do that. So Jesus suffers too because he was a migrant and a refugee in Egypt where he was a child to escape death. How many of them are suffering to escape death? Uh, some of them, but not all of them. A lot of them are, uh, 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 most of the alleged refugees who come to the United States are here to make money. And even though some folks in the United States will pay a 50% tax rate, not the Biden family, but uh, some folks in the United States will, uh, refugees won't. They might not pay much at all, if any. And they're going to send a lot of money back out of our economy that created it and back to their economies, which is not fair. But hey, why don't we reduce it to racism? Joe and Jill paid less taxes in 2021 than 2020 despite earning more income. That's good. I'm adding that to the pile of things like how Bloomberg paid 4% on a total of $10 billion in income between 2013 and 2018. It's not quite that bad. Um, but Joe and Jill's tax rate somehow went down. They also only reported 610000 in income in 2021 and 607 in 2020. I just don't buy it for a second. That's all they were able to make. Because it's too little. It just shows you that they're lying. Because there's no way that family made only that amount of money. There's just no way. It's impossible. It's an impossibility. It's too little. So this is how you know they're being dishonest with you because they should claim more. They should claim that he made like a million bucks or two million bucks. But it's the I've been around D.C. It's a people with a name recognition like Joe Biden and Jill Biden when they don't have... Um, uh, when they, they have the ability to get themselves, funnel themselves insane amounts of money. And they're doing that, as we know. He's the big guy. We know he's the big guy. Regardless of anyone will come clean on that or not. It's very irritating, our tax code. So who is he paying taxes on the money he's getting kicked back from uh, Hunter? Everyone should investigate. It should be nonstop. Demand should be nonstop if the Republicans take power, which presumably they will. Um, one thing that was another Easter story that blew my mind. This was in the Fort Worth Telegram. Parents in parent in bunny suit hands out condom filled Easter eggs at Texas Elementary School. Uh, I, I have to say, this is not a good headline for those of us who would like some of these conversations about sexuality that are occurring way too often in our schools to go back to the homes. I, I'm chuckling at myself a little bit because this is, I, I would love it if we could remove all the trans agenda from the elementary school curriculum that are, is popping up or curricula and send that back to the home. But when the parent in the home is an Easter bunny who hands out condoms to uh people who are in fifth grade or younger. That's kind of weird. Um, I guess this was, was this in Austin? Yeah, this, uh, that's, that's so interesting. It's in, Austin's got a reputation for being weird, but still, I don't think we should blame Austin for this. I think we should just blame whoever these parents are. That struck me as a, a not a good use of Easter Bunny. Sounds like a joke that someone would make. Like, we're gonna have an Easter Bunny come out and hand out condoms. That actually sounds like a Babylon Bee headline. That's what it does. The New York Times disgraced itself over Holy Weekend by writing a op-ed saying, let's get rid of God. In this time of war, I propose we give up God. 
was the headline from author Shalom Oslander. And Joel Pollock has a big takedown of this piece at Breitbart.com. But it's also, um, but it's just it's just amazing that this is where the New York Times feels like they should be spending their effort. Is that what we need right now in the United States of America? Even if you're not a person of deep faith, if you could choose right now that the United States of America uh, reconvenes with some of our Judeo-Christian-based values that initially made our country a spectacular place, or do you believe that it'd be better off if we continue down a secular atheist path? Uh, How is it going since we've been less religious? Because we all know we're getting more secular as a society, and we also know that we don't like the trend of the country. So are the, is that merely a coinky-dink, or do you think maybe there's something related? But the New York Times, let's uh, dedicate them more calm inches to giving up God. I guess it's edgy in a way. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're trolling. All right. Um, I'd read from the piece, but I don't even want to indulge it. It, it, because it's obviously designed just to trigger people like me. Um, and so I will not be triggered. I will merely bring it to your attention. Speaking of low approval ratings or bad poll numbers or bad data about this country, uh, what's going on over at the Joe Biden White House is pretty unbelievable. There was a clip that was going viral over the weekend of CNN talking about how Joe Biden's approval is ranging now from 43, I'm sorry, 33 to 42% in polls. I think the highest poll he's got is about 42, which is low. And then some of his poll numbers are now as low as 33%, which is abysmal. And even uh, CNN's John Brennan, I'm sorry, John Berman, no, the John John Brennan is MSNBC, but he thinks the same as people on CNN. John Berman, who is a left wing news guy, um, according to uh, John Nolte of uh, Breitbart, who wrote this stuff for us, that he looked like he was about to cry, which is true. But Berman always looks like he's about to cry. That's the issue here. But uh, the, uh, Nolte doesn't point that out. But that's fine. That's his right. Uh, but he is talking to. I was unfamiliar with this person. Think. Thank goodness, I guess I'm not watching my CNN, who is breaking down all the poll numbers on Biden and explained how a, a lot of people in the media love to dunk on President Trump for his poll numbers early on, saying these are the worst poll numbers. And he says, uh, objectively, Biden's are worse than Trump's at this point in the presidency. It's pretty amazing how the reality of how poorly Biden is doing on every single issue. He gets an F on almost every issue. He gets an F on unity. He gets an F on the economy. I will give him a D minus on foreign policy only because he should get an F based on uh, the Afghanistan debacle alone, which should be enough to, you know, end his presidency and uh, his him leaving the border open. But I'll raise it to a D minus because we're not in a hot war with Ukraine yet. But that's it. Like, well, where else is he getting a, a grade north of F? If you're a left winger, then you probably don't give him a, a F on Supreme Court pick. So probably half the country, you know, bumps him up to a C for that. Like, what, what else is he doing? He's got nothing going that's positive. He has no agenda, can't pass anything. The stuff he wants to pass is ridiculous, just more spending. 
in the middle of a bunch of inflation. A lot of stagflation talk over the weekends. Um, I will refrain from getting into that in too much detail until I uh, check in with John Carney, who is was on vacation last weekend, our economic and finance expert at Breitbart. Um, because I want to make sure that that's coming from credible people. But I definitely read a lot of stagflation, which makes sense to me from someone who you know took junior level economics in college and nothing beyond that. Um, but the that is where the economy is is stagnating, perhaps even recessing, and we're still in inflation. I, I just don't see how we. I I don't see the math on how we don't get there. But that was a phrase that is associated a lot with the Carter years. I think that was the last time we had it. Maybe we had it for a moment sometime between now and then. But I'll get you all the details this week and I'll report them out on the broadcast. But even CNN acknowledging that these are historically bad poll numbers. And the only president who's had poll numbers as bad in the history of their first term, um, I believe was Harry Truman, whose first term was not, he was not elected. So he was not an elected person. He got elected, he got reelected, which was legit. But he took over for FDR, I believe is the math on that. So yeah, exactly. Franklin Roosevelt died, Truman took over. Truman had a rough first year, I guess. But he did go on to win a second term. How good could it be when you're seeing stuff like a, according to this court brief that John Binder wrote up for us at Breitbart News, that Biden released 756,000 border crossers. That's more than people who live in, um, the, the, more people in, than live in Boston. Is that true? How do people live in Boston? It's got to be more than 750,000. That's interesting. Anyway, that's a, you guys get the point. 750,000 a lot of people. And they've all been released. That is, and just, and that's from government data. That That is, uh, that is from a brief that was collected from DHS data. That's DHS, Department of Homeland Security. So they're coming clean on that. So again, what are the numbers that's the real numbers? I'm guessing at least double, maybe triple that. And then you get the White House, Jen Psaki, future MSNBC contributor, saying that she's annoyed by the cannibalistic Democrats criticizing Joe Biden on inflation. So maybe they're starting to realize they need to distance themselves from this guy. She went on the Obama bro podcast, Pod Save America, where a bunch of angry millennial Obama speechwriters convene to complain about how stupid Republicans are. And she was on and she was talking about how Democrats should uh, oftentimes get a little cannibalistic about what our plans are and whether they're good enough or whether we're passing them fast enough or what have you. So if you're criticizing us, you're cannibal. Okay. Um, also in that interview, she floated canceling student debt as a possible hedge against inflation for people. So a big part of the consideration, she said. So you can cancel student debt, which is, again, a handout for a lot of Democrat voters, because I'm guessing the people with more student debt are going to be Democrat voters, typically. 
And it's really a handout for the universities because this is how the universities can keep jacking up their prices is that there are more loans that go out. The loans have really low interest rates. And then a lot of people think a lot of the loans will be forgiven. And there's lots of ways to get loans forgiven also already. So that just means we have these overpriced universities that aren't educating us, but they are, you know, uh, gobbling up so much of our money. And then eventually you get into a situation like Harvard, which is basically a hedge fund now. It's got $30 billion under management. I mean a $30 billion endowment. A little hedge fund pun for you. And what do they do? They invest it. They make money. So she wants to forgive student debt. Is that not just tacking more stuff on to what we owe, which is part of the reason why we're in inflation right now? Not very bright. She's never struck me as very bright, I have to say. Um, Kansas governor vetoes bill protecting female athletes from trans competition. Kansas governor Laura Kelly, Democrat, vetoed a Republican-led bill on Friday that would have prevented males from identifying as males who identify as females from infiltrating and dominating girls' sports. Dylan Gwynn writes for Sprite Britain News. We all want a fair and safe place for our kids to play and compete, Kelly wrote. However, this bill came from politicians trying to score political points. Yep, it's scoring political points, saying to girls that uh, there will be no boys beating you in your sports and you're allowed to compete on your own without getting tormented by the freak shows like what we saw in the Ivy Leagues this year. If you don't want to do the freak show like we saw with the Ivy Leagues where you saw a cheating male athlete setting records in some races and sandbagging other races and distracting the entire country, much less your community. Uh, If you don't want that, it's because we can't let Republicans score political points. Do we all have such blinders on or is it just these uh, Democrats who are confused right now because they have nothing good going for them? Something we've been tracking, and I'll ask Emma Jo about this later because she's got a piece on this. I'm a Joe Morris, our politics editor. Um, and Neil Monroe is also tracking this for us at Breitbart, that the transgender demands are actually fueling more gays to come out and say they're not with the trans agenda. Which again, was something that was latent for the last 15 years or so. This was a conversation that I know in the gay community was being had. This wasn't being had out in the open that much. I know Andrew Sullivan is out there kind of making this point, but I think a lot of others as well a lot of the gays are saying that, that, that don't lump us in with the, with, the, with the T's and the pluses and the Q's and the ampersands and the pregnant man emojis. Like, that's not us. We're just gay. We have nothing to do with the trans stuff. Please leave us out of it. But it hasn't been that vocal. It's becoming slightly more vocal. We had a story on this at Breitbart from over the weekend. But a transgender demands fueling a gay conservative alliance. So uh, that is... Um, uh, Sullivan writes about how many gays and lesbians deeply believe in biological sex differences. They cherish and celebrate male and female bodies. And they do not see gayness as connected to the trans experience. Really? That shocks me. And by shock, of course, I mean, of course, makes perfect sense because it's science. All right. Donald Trump endorsed J.D. Vance in Ohio. 
in the Republican Senate primary. Uh, Vance was on Saturday's show with Matt, if you guys want to check it out. Matt Boyle, Washington political editor. I'm sure we'll get him on soon talk about it. Um, that's a tight race over there. A lot of good candidates and interesting endorsement from Trump, particularly coming off of the oddball endorsement for Dr. Oz, because Vance definitely talks a lot like uh, Trump on the values and has pretty solid background, without a doubt. Those of you who know, I've done some long interviews with him as well, so you feel free to hunt down your favorite non-Google search engine um, my interviews with JD. We did one of those cool sit downs where I went to his house. Um, and that's all good. All, all, all worthwhile. Forward thinker. And I, I, I'm just happy to see Trump get back on track after the Oz thing, which I still don't understand. Still don't understand. There's going to be a Pennsylvania debate, by the way. Uh, and I, I can't wait for that. That one, I'll be popping popcorn for that. That is, I don't tend to watch all of the local debates you know, governor races and senator Senate debates simply because I have to feel confident in my people that I delegate to a Breitbart, that they got to be able to handle this stuff. And I got to be able to do other things in my life. But that is when I will watch. I will watch Dr. Oz try to make conservative points. Uh, Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors declared that charitable financial disclosures are triggering. She doesn't want to fill out this form called nine, uh, called 990. Um, and I think she misspoke and called it a 1990 at one point. But then she got back on track, called it a 990. And she said, I'm like, ugh, it's like triggering. It's such a trip to hear the term 990. And she goes on to explain, this is where in the nonprofit system structure, you have to kind of declare where you're spending some of your money. I think it's not everything, but maybe like the top five or so uh, expenditures you have, you got to declare those. Maybe if they're over a certain threshold. And this is a bummer to Black Lives Matter because they raise so much money. I think um, Colors in particular collected like $90 million in charitable funds. And we don't know where the money's going, but we do know that they're buying all these houses. The latest one was that Black Lives Matter now has a $6 million house, a $6 million mansion. So the, but we don't know how much money is actually going to improve black lives. We have no idea. Um, but this is exactly how, you know, money can get, get if, if you drop this stuff, then it just does make it easier to hide money. I'm not saying clever people don't work around the stuff and they do, but it is notable that she's complaining about having to disclose stuff when it's been in the news that Black Lives Matter doing very little to help black lives and doing a lot to buy mansions. What is the logic? Has anyone explained in the Black Lives Matter movement where the $6 million mansion came from and why they think that's a good idea? So you would think everyone um, would have decided their take on Black Lives Matter when they were integral to all the rioting that took place in the summer of 2020, the so-called summer of love. But those of you who are still on the fence, that uh, they're now, uh, they have 90 million buying mansions, complaining about disclosures, and last I checked, not doing anything productive for black people. Okay, let's go halfway around the world, take a quick look at what's going on in Ukraine. A Democrat Senator Chris Coons said we need to discuss sending troops to Ukraine. It's just, just amazing how left-wing Democrats are now the biggest warmongers we got because they have to wag the dog. They have to figure out a way, get Biden into Ukraine and make him be a hero of some kind. 
I think some of them think that's the, the, the move because there's no other wins. I think they're looking for a win, and they think coming out against Putin is a win, at least politically, in an even stronger way. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky was on CNN over the weekend, and he warned that Putin may be using tac- tactical nukes, and we need to be ready for uh, Putin, not afraid, but we need to be ready for Putin to drop nukes on us. So we have to be careful that he's trying to draw us into war too because if we really did think Putin was going to use nukes, of course people would consider it. And we know it's a possibility, but we don't think we're there yet. And that's the whole trick is that they want us to consider that, hey, if you don't go after Putin now, we could drop nukes on everyone. And and, and that would be, that would get nations, it's a statement designed not to be accurate, but to get nations like ours involved to take out Putin, which would be a miracle for Zelensky. All right, that little pencil neck Adam Schiff is coveting the House speakership role for himself. So just to let you know, if uh, you don't get 10,000 friends and family members registered to vote and Pelosi does back out, which I think is TBD, she's quite old. She's, uh, I think, older than Biden, which is almost impossible. So if she doesn't want to be speaker again, especially if she's got a really narrow margin, maybe Republicans get the Senate back and then, you know, you get speakership by one vote or whatever, whatever is the best case scenario. She might not want it. Well, that little pencil neck, the guy who wasted so much of our time collectively as a country over the Trump years, he wants the speakership and he might get it because it does not seem like a super desirable job at this point. Would you really want it if you were a Democrat with a super unpopular president? It's supposed to be a super tough job anyway. Um, and I've spoken to a lot of Congress people that you guys like behind the scenes over the years, and, and a, a lot of them say they wouldn't want that job. Uh, most of those statements off record. But that is a, a the, the little pencil neck. Could be the speaker. Let's you vote. All right, last one, good news, and then we'll go to the phones. If you guys are so inclined, give me a buzz at 866-95-PATRIOT. Uh, from the Durham report, Jonathan Turley writes that five witnesses connected to the Clinton campaign's false Russian claims have refused to cooperate. Durham's also detailed how the false Russian collusion claims related to Alpha Bank involved Clinton General Counsel Mark Elias and Christopher Steele. Indeed, the new requested immunized testimony would come from a tech executive who allegedly can share information on meetings with Elias and Steele. The Alpha Bank hoax and 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 uh, a campaign lawyer Michael Sussman's efforts paralleled the work of his partner Elias at the law firm Perkins Coie in pushing the Steele dossier in a separate debunked collusion claim. The Federal Election Commission recently fined the Clinton campaign and the DNC for hiding the funding of the dossier as legal cost by Elias at Perkins Coie. So five pleading the fifth connected to Clinton. And it seems like Durham's trying to cut deals, get as much information as they can, trading immunity for information. So anyway, it seems like Durham's on the march, I got to say. I have not a lot of nice things to say to Durham over the years. But uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll chill on some of the where's Durham jokes because he does keep dropping little, little tidbits like this that do give me some hope. This is Breitbart News Daily. Be right back.
today's guest is Emma Jo Morris, who's our politics editor and best known for the Hunter Biden laptop from hell scoops. And we get into some of the nuances of the Dr. Oz race in Pennsylvania, which I just can't resist. I can't stop talking about it because it is pretty fascinating for a number of reasons. And her take's interesting. She's also got a lot of information on it. And then we talk about something she's been tracking for us at Breitbart News, which is there is a more vocal group of gay individuals who are not satisfied with the trans agenda right now and that they're getting lumped in with it. They see their experiences as different and I, I got to admit, I am uh, the kind of on their side on this. So we'll see what Emma's got to say about it in this interview, as well, of course, as some Hunter Biden talk. And we get into Joe Biden's taxes some more as well. Dr. Oz, I think, was born here, but then chose to serve in the Turkish military. Is that correct? I think that's what what um, is, the, is the story, which is kind of odd. Yeah, he was born in Cleveland. And then he's Turkish by his parents' citizenship and then chose to serve in the Turkish military. So it's just a significant thing because he's not a foreign, foreigner, but he also chose to serve in the Turkish military. And now he's choosing to run for the U.S. Senate for some reason that is unbeknownst to me. So anyway, I'm very curious to see how that's going to go in Pennsylvania. All right, I guess we can start there with Emma Joe Morris, who is our political editor for us at Breitbart News. Emma Joe, thanks for joining me on the show at Emma Joe NYC on Twitter. And her Twitter's pretty good. I don't recommend a lot of Twitters, but it's a pretty good one. Uh, what do you make of the Dr. Oz candidacy so far and the Trump endorsement? Do we know how it's playing? Have we seen any polling data or anything like that? Hey, Alex, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, yeah, so I think... Oz has been polling well through Pennsylvania before this um, before this endorsement by Trump. I mean, the thing about him is, as much as we criticize him on, you know, his policy and the fact that he <laughs> served in the Turkish military and a myriad of other things, like him being hesitant about renouncing his Turkish citizenship, which was another one that I think is an even bigger deal, actually, than the Turkish military thing. I mean... We all go through phases, I guess, where we do things that maybe now we wouldn't necessarily 100% do again. But um, and I don't know how he feels about that in retrospect. But, you know, it's today, like as in a month ago less, he was asked if he would renounce the Turkish, Turkish citizenship. And it was not an automatic yes. No, he said only like only, only if he won, which is... Scandal. Yeah, only if he won will he renounce it, which is almost the worst answer you could give, in my opinion. And that's where he settled at the end. That was after, like, the negotiation after the backlash. I mean, the first answer was, well, maybe I wouldn't do all of the security briefings I necessarily would have if I didn't have it. I mean, it was it was outrageous. So why is he running if he can't answer that question? I don't know. I mean, I can't get into his head. I guess the closest we got to his head was uh, when Olivia Nuzzi <laughs> was left accidentally on a Bluetooth call in his car. Uh, that was in January or late December. Um it's worth reading if the, if, uh, if the listeners. Well, what, what was the gist of it? Because I had forgotten that. Um, yeah. So Olivia Nuzzi, who is a reporter uh, in New York City, got <laughs> called Dr. Oz's phone and he was in the car with his wife and he didn't click off the phone properly. And the phone was on on Bluetooth in the car while they were talking. And the gist of the conversation was Dr. Oz griping about how, uh, you know, he's expected to be some sort of star of the Republican Party now and how that's not his role and he never agreed to that and you know there were various gripes about people in his campaign office who's there and whatever because how did Olivia Nazi get his number and 
why is she calling him and she's a liar. But the gist of it was politically that he didn't want this. And again, that was reiterated when he brought up that remark about his citizenship and not wanting to uh, renounce his citizenship. And, you know, it makes you think, like, why is he doing this? And the question is still out there. I don't know. Um, there, obviously, I live in New York City. There is gossip about it in New York City because Dr. Oz socializes in New York City. He is not in Pennsylvania. He doesn't live there. Uh, maybe he owns a property there. I suppose he needs to. No, I think the story is he registered to vote at, I think, his parents-in-law's house. Um, and he's got a medical license in Pennsylvania, but I think that's tied to where he did his medical training, uh, which was at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and I, again, I, I don't understand the connection to Pennsylvania. Um, and that is, he lives in a part of New Jersey, even though New Jersey is adjacent to Pennsylvania. He doesn't live in the part. He doesn't live anywhere near Pennsylvania. He, he lives clear on the other no, side of the state. He, he lives right across from New York City. He lives right, right on the state line between New York and New Jersey. Um, maybe about a ten-minute drive through the tunnel. Uh, into the Upper West Side, he he lives not nowhere near Pennsylvania in New Jersey. Um, he, he's where people go who don't want to live in an apartment, but who live in New York City and dwell in New York City. Um, so you know, it, it appears to me as just an observer, as just like pure political opportunism. Um, and the thing is, as I was saying at the beginning of the segment, he actually does pull well. The truth is, and I'm sure this is what Trump saw yeah. too, is that he's a household name. Uh, people know Dr. Oz, and people, and that, and that know, matters. It, it does it's matter. Like that with yeah, and daytime TV. I mean, TV in general, like big TV stars. You know, you're part of somebody's household. You're part of somebody's family. You know, a lot of families, you know, connect and bond over hanging out and watching shows that they can all like. And I think that that's what Dr. Oz represents for a lot of people. So I don't think his political instincts or his positions on this issue or, or, or his Turkish citizenship issue, for example, matter as much to people. I mean, clearly it doesn't. He's pulling all right. Yeah, and I don't doubt, by the way, even though I do think his campaign's a big joke, I do think that uh, he could still win. I, I just, I think that's just the nature of the way things are with the, the just our current system. And the, also looking at this race, which is interesting, is that, you know, the other... Uh, front runner is David McCormick, who certainly says all the right stuff, uh, but he's got a similar issue that he's mostly a Connecticut guy, right? Like he's not, he's not yeah, a, a mean, naturally a Pennsylvania guy. He's again, and, yeah, he's again like a New York yeah. guy. And yeah. so is his wife. Um, yeah. I guess his wife and, 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 you know, her involvement in the Trump administration makes him feel more uh, connected to MAGA. Uh, sure. Well, and, and he also served 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 in the U.S. military versus the Turkish military, Emma Joe. So, right. Like, so when the so, bar is so, something <laughs> significant, something significant, worth noting, That's worth pointing that out. Yeah, exactly. It's worth something when your opponent has uh, served in a military um, for the the head of the Islamic world, which is. You know, I mean, that's where yeah. we are in Pennsylvania. It's very sad. Pennsylvania is a great state. I've spent a lot of time there, and uh, it's uh, it's something to see that be the, what they have to choose from. I mean, they deserve a great representative, and maybe somebody will emerge. You know, there, and maybe Doctor Oz cares or something. I don't know. I mean, you know, it, 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 it Oz Oz has been so schizophrenic. Happen. 
Yeah, if we do want to take him seriously for a, a point, I mean, there's reports of him referring to himself as a Republican way back in 2007. But then since then, his positions he's put out there have been like not just not just liberal, but like radical left. I mean, we played the clips of his trans special where he was saying kids are born trans, which is not even what the trans community describes themselves as. They say that they're a man who's born a woman or a boy who's born a girl, etc. Like he's just he's so pandering. He doesn't even get the terminology right and is it so what republican was talking about kids being born trans 15 years ago which is very odd it's the i i it's it's hard to keep up with it it really is this the constant um uh, oh so he said he uh supports abortion rights in 2019 but is also pro-life like what what, how how am i this is tough to follow emma for me and i've been following a lot of thousands of politicians over the years this one is tough oh 100 percent. he was also he was also you know diehard dr fauci for a bit i mean and then he called for him to be fired and and he's a gun owner but he also likes red flag laws so it's like what okay it's a this is a choose your own adventure on this one like, that's the thing. It's scary. And but again, it's like I, I always want to hedge because the truth is with Trump, he was in New York City. He wasn't in a typical Republican atmosphere, let's say. He had a liberty in life before he became a, a Republican candidate. He uh, supported gay marriage, for instance, very early. Uh, he was at one point a, a supporter of abortion. And then he switched that position. It was kind of hard to tell where he was going to fall for real or if he was going to just say things to, to get elected as a Republican. And he ended up becoming the most conservative president ever. Um, so I, I always, because of that, like I feel like he set an example where yeah, you don't want to sure. get too smart before the person is actually governing because it's possible that maybe maybe Oz is an opportunist. Maybe that's true. And maybe he gets elected and says, you know, if I want to be successful and if I want to prove my haters and detractors wrong, I have to govern seriously. And so I've been thinking that I'm serious. And that's, uh, you know, despite despite all of the drama. And I think that that's obviously always a possibility. You can't tell the future. So this is the issue that's been raised on the show a number of times is that, well, Trump was a, a liberal Democrat, New York City guy, and then he ran as a, a populist, you know, Tea Party style a Republican. And it, here's the thing is it, as one of the few people who took Donald Trump seriously when he was polling in single digits um, in American media, the, the thing that Trump was doing is Trump was talking about the right issues the right way before they were cool. Um, this was before they were they were trendy in the polls. Before you oh, yeah, needed sure. legislative like issue to trade, win, you know, there's like there's trade like immigration. On Oprah yeah. talking about that, China, like, you know, the early odds. Yeah, NATO. I mean, things that now, if you trash NATO or you say our borders a problem or you say our trade deals are getting rolled or you say China's a problem, you have to say that stuff to win a Republican primary. Trump was saying it when no other Republican was saying it, and he was so right. He surged up in the polls, and not to mention his attacks on the media. And it's one of those things where people who say that stuff now have a more uphill climb because 
even though I want them all to say it. And I hope Dr. Oz talks this way. If he's the guy, I hope McCormick says it. If he's the guy, uh, and it, 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 and I hope if there's a third or fourth person who's in the mix, I know there's a few other people in the race who are polling decently. I hope they all basically run on the slate of issues that Donald Trump ran on in 2016. I mean, that was the right slate of issues. It's just a little tougher sell because what Trump was doing, he was doing it before it was cool. And, and that is a big difference to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course, 100 percent. He set out a blueprint. And now all you have to do is kind of follow Just the follow blueprint. It. And it's right. very clearly defined issues and they're very clearly defined positions and they're clearly popular. Um, it's it's a slam dunk if you just take on the populist nationalist agenda. And uh, yeah, I 100 percent agree with you. It's like at this point they're following a manual. So it's much harder to tell. And I mean, you have to go off of the past. Obviously, how else are you going to know? Um, but I just all I was saying is that, you, you know, you never know if somebody has a change of heart and, and gets inspired to actually, uh, you know, respond to the needs of their constituents once they're entrusted with that responsibility. So, Emma Joe, I promised in the opening I bring up with you uh, your article about how uh, actually the Democrat Party is setting back gay rights by this crazy embrace of the trans hysteria and it is something that i mentioned that of gay people that i are am friends with and have listened to in media that this is not a big secret and hasn't been but yet it's kind of stayed under the radar but you're starting to see it emerge that this narrative that a lot of gay people don't want to get lumped in with the trans and the lgbt plus q ampersand pregnant man emoji all the layers of the alphabet and so many numbers and, and now symbols and even emojis yeah, you actually forgot uh, two it, spirit. yeah yeah two spirit exactly there's not all the same <laughs> experience and i think a lot of people are starting to bring that up uh and you have been calm about this from a few days ago can you talk to us about this uh, phenomenon if you really do think this is going to bubble up yeah well so i think that so this has been a quiet very quiet conversation within the gay community for a long time for probably about five years where we're at least where i started to hear about it where um people don't people who are gay will say they don't connect with the trans uh, ideology and they don't connect with the trans experience. But there is enormous pressure within the gay community to toe the line on, on the claim that trans people and gay people are one community and that they have one interest and that trans rights are human rights and also gay rights. And that this, the gay rights movement, despite you may have thinking that there is equality, there actually isn't because trans people are here and they have their own set of demands that must be met now. And this is something that has been pushed by culture, by the media, uh, by the interest groups. This is some sort of absolute truth. And it's another one of those things, which there are a few where it just doesn't track with people's experience. It does not track with reality, but there is such a tremendous amount of pressure. And I mean, tremendous amount of pressure, like to, to the extent that, you know, you get treated as, as you know, it's similar to, to being a black conservative if you push back on this. Um, and, you don't you know, there are tons of people who are not conservative at all who just don't agree with it, but they can't say that because if they do, it's like almost getting your gay card revoked. Um, and now this is coming more into the public 
you know, conversation because you have very prominent gay conservatives who don't care about being slandered. Um, you know, like Rick Cornell, for instance, who I think has spoken about this. And uh, Chadwick Moore is another one. Um, sure. But but it's it's not um, something that in the gay community people feel comfortable saying, even though it's an obvious truth. And so what my column talks about is very logically why um, a, there's a distinction between trans people and gay people, and B, why hitching gay people onto the trans political uh, crusade actually hurts them and takes them back in terms of their progress by at least 40 years, at least 40 years, and actually more, because the things that are coming about now in the conversation about, quote, LGBTQ2IAT plus or whatever, are, are the exact charges that gay people grappled with in the 50s. So that's over 40 well, years. And, 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 and isn't I this give an the same? Of the right. And, and in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there was a response, which I, I outlined in this column, there was a response to the radical gay activism, and it was bolstered by junk science by anti gay advocates that said that homosexuality equaled groomer, that homosexuals wow. were predisposed to preying on children and that they do prey on children, and that that is part of homosexuality. And what happened in the years that followed that was um, you had moderate gay activists and moderate gay rights advocates like Andrew Sullivan, who I quote in my piece, who were writing books and, and go in full force saying, first of all, there are radical elements of our movement that are, that are doing this wrong, that we don't agree with and that make us uncomfortable and are also not outlining what we want. And B, uh, no, we're not groomers. And this is why we're not groomers. And this is the very clearly, you know, outlined what homosexual rights are about, which were equality, you know, marriage and and being able to have kids, you know, being able to adopt kids and raising money for AIDS and drawing awareness toward AIDS, which at the time and still was the number one killer of homosexuals, um, you know, sensible things, sensible things just to live their life essentially freely. And uh, and they successfully beat back accusations that they were child predators by just, um, you know, appeasing a, a moderate group and by and not appeasing, I should say, but by articulating their position in a way that was palatable, palatable to moderates and palatable to the mainstream. And that was hard fought. And and they finally broke through on that narrative and they successfully normalized homosexuality in the way that just, you know, gay people can be on the street and get married and, you know, live normal lives and people don't really think it's strange and they have the legal right to do that. Um, and and uh, now, you know, you see the trans lobby coming out basically interested in, in ensnaring children into their ideology or whatever, which has to do with sex sexuality and and gender and it's uh it's totally it's totally undermining the work that has been done by people like andrew sullivan and that people now are enjoying and can live normal lives like gay people don't feel oppressed and if you ask normal yeah they're called like they don't feel oppressed but they're forced to say that they are and the children must bow to their demands it's it's absurd yeah I got. I gotta say, and this isn't. You're making an interesting point that I have not heard articulated. But I think this is a big deal, as I think the way the gay rights movement went about getting rights for themselves, uh, they made the two centerpieces basically freedom. You should be free to do what you want to do, and then it was uh, the, the a more moderate 
uh, pitch that we're normal people and this is normal and we just want to be treated equally, which is a, a pitch to moderates. The trans stuff that's going on right now is incredibly extreme and incredibly off-putting that we must be able to indoctrinate, you know, a, a five-year-olds into this cult that we've formed. It is, it is totally different tactically. Now, not only do I think it's, I, do I not equate gay rights and trans rights in a vacuum, Emma? It is noteworthy that what worked for the gay community to get the rights that they wanted, whether or not I agree with all the rights they got, uh, you know, you, you and I have discussed same-sex marriage. I know offline I have on the air a bunch of times uh, as well, but it is uh, uh, one of those things where the approach was so much better from the gay rights advocates, I think, in my opinion. But it's, it's just a different era. Now what seems to work is the overwhelming bullying of people. Just the social media hysteria seems to be how people get stuff done. Well, that's the thing. It's like it's not working because you have a column like this emerging. This didn't, like I said at the beginning, this did not come out of thin air. And this is not just my opinion. This is an opinion that I have heard whispered and really whispered because people are so uncomfortable. But they'll tell me, you know, you know, people will tell me just around because I am conservative, obviously, and and they feel like it's a safe place to speak. But I have this is not like I have been hearing this for years and it's actually not fringe. So that's the problem when you just impose through force and intimidation an opinion on somebody. It doesn't mean that you've convinced them. And that's the distinction between what happened in the gay rights movement and what's now happening in the trans rights, quote unquote, movement is there was a, a sincere effort to convince on the gay rights movement. And on this is just sheer force. And that doesn't work with ideas. It might work with like military, but it doesn't work with ideas. You haven't changed hearts and minds. And that's yeah. what's going on. And not only have you not changed hearts and minds, but now you're breeding resentment. Interesting. Where, especially where like, like I said it in my, in my piece as well. Um, there was a glad poll that came out in 2019 that showed a sharp drop, especially among young people in, in comfort levels among quote LGBTQ people. And it's not, I don't think that right. young people woke up one day and felt weird about gay people. I think that's that the trans so right on. political movement ramped up and it's awkward. Yeah, you're so right about this. You're so right about this. And you know what's interesting? There's even some trans people who I think seem to be uh, the hip on this. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner being one of them who seems to be kind of like, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is the right way to go about it. Uh, but those voices are getting way overwhelmed, um, as we all know. Uh, and I got to run a couple other ones by you. Um, you're, of course, best known for the laptop from hell scoops. And the Washington Post is now taken to cover the covering the laptop two years uh, later after you broke the story with uh, Glenn Kessler, their fact checker. And now all of a sudden he's on it, but he's ignoring key documents. Peter Schweitzer and Jacob McLeod, who is also uh, the uh, my lead researcher on breaking the news, uh, have a piece out breaking this down at Breitbart. Uh, so what's the Washington Post up to here? Yeah, so they're they're parsing. It's so convoluted, to be honest. And I don't know how they think they're convincing anybody, especially people who haven't been following the story because they didn't report it. Um, but they're basically kind of like mincing words and trying to split hairs about the $3.5 million payment from Russia, from uh, the mayor of Moscow to Hunter, and saying, oh, he wasn't involved at BHR at the time. It wasn't actually to him. I mean, and this is, they're playing this language game that they can get away with because their audience hasn't been following the story because they've ignored it. And now they're coming in late to the game and they can pick and choose based on what 
the available information is what they want to report because it's all out there and their readers don't know better. So, um, yeah, so he's Glenn Kessler is saying, actually, fact check. Um, Hunter had left BHR at the time, and, which is Bohai Harvest, which is his uh, equity firm. And so he actually didn't get that money. And it's not true to say that. It's misleading. And uh, in theory, for Hunter Biden, Rosemont Seneca Thornton was no more. So he's, uh, he's just splitting hairs. And he's doing a sleight of hand because his readers haven't followed the laptop from hell closely from the beginning. And they've been told that it's a conspiracy theory and that it's a right-wing fringe story and that it does it's not really relevant. And, you know, you've heard the refrain from the legacy media, and he is doing that, and that's been a pattern. Um, I also wrote a column about this like two weeks ago or three weeks ago now, um, basically saying that it, the, the legacy media is picking and choosing what information they want to acknowledge from the laptop. So on the one hand, you'll have the Washington Post come forward and say, yes, the hard drive is authentic. Yes, we, we corroborated it ourselves. We had a tech expert look at it and take it apart, and we can verify that it's real. And then through the other side of their mouth, um, they're, they're saying, oh, no, the Bidens aren't implicated in any, in any sort of untoward behavior. I don't want to use the word corruption because there is no conviction there. But let's say uh, shady business, that this doesn't implicate Joe Biden, that Hunter really isn't even implicated either, you know, and, and so it's really bizarre. And it's kind of just this like mind game that they're playing because they'll say, yes, the laptop is real, but no, it doesn't mean anything that you thought it did, which is obviously absurd, not only because, um, not only because the Bidens have never come out to, to try to refute the reporting, which I would imagine if it were made up or spun up or a narrative or something, that they would come out and say, this is insane, and here how, here's how we can prove it. They have not done that, but not only have they not done that, we've had multiple, like I said, I mean, this is like a broken record. I feel like I'm just like speaking into the ether at this point. We've had multiple business partners of hunters come forward to say, yes, this is exactly right. And the assumptions that you're making on who the big guy is, for instance, is exactly right. And yes, Hunter was taking money. And yes, the White House was leaking to Burisma from inside the White House, internal conversations. And yes, the, the Biden family was splitting up the China money. So, you know, it's not like this is... Okay, I got to ask you about something because... because verified, we... and the fact that they're coming out now and trying to parse what information is valid and what's not is frankly pathetic. Okay, so I got to ask you this last one for today, and then I got to run. Emma Jo Morris, by the way, is our politics editor at Breitbart. Uh, the, the Bidens, we got some tax return docs from Biden, and um, the the he's claiming he and Jill made uh, only six hundred thousand dollars the last uh, two years, and I just find that unfathomably low sum, uh, suspiciously low. Um, there's no way he's incapable of getting millions of dollars. So why didn't he get them? Of course he got them. They're somewhere. Where is it? And I want to investigate. But what's your reaction to that? Yeah, well, we actually know where it is because that is something that has come up in the laptop a few times that there's proof of how this works. I'm sure that's right. I'm sure that's right. I'm sure Joe Biden doesn't actually take into his bank account much of anything. And I'm sure that everything you'll see on his tax returns is legit. Um, obviously, that you know, you can't forge those documents. But the way that this works is it's held by Hunter. And if you take a look over at Hunter's financial situation, which is now being looked at by a U.S. attorney and a grand jury, 
um, and there's a federal investigation and there's multiple investigations into that, that's where you find the murkiness. And what happens is their, their system is such that Hunter accepts the money on the premise that he's holding it for the big guy, as he says in his words, and, um, and then he disperses it. Um, based, so they have cards, they have like debit cards that are linked to Hunter Biden's account. And there was this horrible story in, in, that you found in the laptop where, where Hunter was trying to pay a hooker and his Venmo wasn't going through from his checking account. So he's trying various <laughs> checking accounts. And he accidentally pays this hooker like five grand out of Joe Biden's checking account that's actually his checking account, but that Joe Biden holds the debit card for. So oh that's how gosh, it works. Yeah, Joe Biden is, made 600 grand or whatever. And his. Sensational. You know, multiple his seven figure bank accounts are actually under Hunter's name. Emma Joe, I know we can go out all day, but I'm not allowed, so I got to run. Uh, let's pick this up next time. I'm sure it'll be soon. Thanks so much, as always. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that's all for today. Thanks to producers Haley and Greg Evan. And thanks to all of you for listening to the show and sharing our content, subscribing, five-star review, leaving a nice comment. All that helps a lot. Also, if you're interested, I was on the Babylon Bee podcast last week, which is available on their YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're so inclined, check that out as well. And we'll see you tomorrow. Apologize.